Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dan Assor Show, supported by show community patrons, TF Connect, Tarsus Group, 19 Group, SISO and Smart Digital. This week, I spoke with Jonathan Kazarian, CEO of Excel Events, a platform for hosting in-person, virtual and hybrid events. Please check out all of my content on danassor.com and be notified first about new episodes by subscribing to my YouTube channel and following me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify platforms. I have another very special guest in front of me, Jonathan, or John, should I say, Kazarian, who is CEO of uh, Excel Events. How are you doing today, John? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Um, pleasure. It's always good to speak to people on the other side of the pond. Uh, I have quite a few guests and our audience also stretches to, to the US. As I understand it, you're in Miami Beach. Is that correct? I am. Yeah, I've been here a couple of years now. Cool. How is How's Miami? hot today it's hot still it's very hot yep okay all right um so thank you for coming on we've got quite a few topics to talk about to start off with john it's always useful for my audience to understand how my guests have sort of arrived where they are today if i can ask you to cast your mind back um just give us a sense an introduction i know you took a deep breath there <laughs> give us an introduction to to john how you got to to where you are today um as ceo of excel events and then we'll talk more about the business and, and events in general yeah definitely I, I took that deep breath because it's just it's you know it's been a while uh, i started the business in 2015 and the reason i started it was that in 2014 at the age of 17, my cousin was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, I wanted to do something for her and ultimately realized that the thing I could do that would raise the most money would be to, to host, a, host a fundraiser. Um, yeah, I'd been hosting events for fun for a while, and uh, I decided to go down to the aquarium in Boston. I was, I was living in Boston at the time, and I rented the whole thing out, put my credit card down. I was 24 at the yeah. time. I had to sell 185 tickets to break even for that first event. And we ended up selling 840. But going into that, the technology we were using failed us. On the day of the event, we had a wait list of about 100 people. And there was a bug with that technology provider that prevented us from being able to get those people off the, off the wait list. And it costed that organization about $10,000. And at wow, that wow. point, it, we weren't able to get a hold of anybody on the support side. We weren't able to get this issue resolved. And this event, it just meant so much to me that it was, it was devastating for that to happen. And that was only one side of, of the coin for us. The other was that we needed technology to facilitate other aspects of the event. And we looked around and we couldn't find anything that was either affordable or frankly good. And uh, at this point, well, I should say just after that event, I, I, I basically realized that there needs to be better options when it comes to technology for running events. Event organizers sure. have so much on their plate that technology needs to be there to make life easier for them, not harder. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of the journey. So was building this business nights and weekends while working full-time in another job. Things were uh, continuing to progress. And towards 2019, we started to go down this hybrid path further believing that technology would play a bigger role in events. You know, little did we know that in uh, in March 2020, it would provide a very big role sure. in events. And at that point, we went all in on virtual, frankly, out of necessity. I mean, we watched our business evaporate overnight, uh, which I'm sure you know, many of your listeners know that feeling as yeah. well. And uh, you know, we made that pivot 
And we made that pivot based on the conversations we were having with our customers, understanding what they were trying to accomplish. And, 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 you know, from there, the story's kind of history, but we, we just really doubled down on let's build a business around providing not just software to make life easier for event organizers, but let's, let's provide them an equivalent, if not greater level of service to accompany that. And, uh, and ultimately, if, if we can help an organizer get even 15 minutes more sleep the night before their event, we're doing our job. Sure. So let's just recap. You, you set up a, a business off the back of a, you know, a difficult life event, right? A difficult moment. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you've skipped to present day, and I'm sure it wasn't that simple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you don't want to go over the pain and the challenges, but I'm going to make you just for, for a minute. You didn't take on investment, as I understand it, right? So you, you've sort of, the terminology is bootstrapped, I guess, uh, the business. What are the, what are some of the things that you, you had to encounter and how did you sort of overcome those challenges? Now, obviously, we spoke about the pandemic, but I guess in the first four or five years, because it's not as simple as saying, right, you know, I've, I've spotted a gap in the market and we're going to launch this. Um, did you have to get the right team around you? How you, how did you do that? Just give us a view of sort of how you started to build the business and also come up with the technology that supported it. Yeah, uh, it's a couple parts of that question. First, for full transparency, we were bootstrapped until this year. Uh, we yep. we raised a small amount of money, less than our revenue. Um, you know, and one of the primary motivators for that is, uh, you know, as you know, in the event industry, there's a lot of seasonality. So sure. as uh, overhead increases. Having some additional capital helps to flatten the flatten the um, cash flow a little bit. Sure, but from the perspective of actually getting there, figuring it out, I was very interested in technology, but I wasn't an engineer by trade. Right. So a lot of it was self taught, and again, I had a little bit more time because I was working full time in another job. This was, you know, I was building this bootstrap, so I was I was learning along the way, and it was a balancing act between learning how to build the technology, but also learning what the customers needed. And, you know, again, going back to that mantra we had around, around the customer service side of things, there was times I remember even in the, you know, the early days where I would be pulling over on the, the side of the highway on a Friday or Saturday night to respond to a customer. But that yeah. relationship with customers created an opportunity where they were just so inclined to share feedback with us that helped us to iterate and evolve much faster than we otherwise would have been able to had we just been like running surveys or meeting with you know three customers per month. Just that, that instantaneous feedback cycle allowed us to evolve. And then in terms of actually executing on it from a technology perspective, Look, we didn't get it right the first time. Uh, about yeah. 14, 16 months in, we ended up completely rebuilding everything that we had built uh, with a new infrastructure and architecture that is far, far more scalable. It's the same architecture that we have today. Obviously, you know, it's iterated and evolved, but uh, we're only at the infancy of, of what that's capable of now. So I actually started through finding freelancers online. and. Okay. After a number of iterations of that, found my way into a couple of folks who we work with today, and they're absolutely incredible. And we've expanded that team to over 50 engineers now, um, and it, it's you know it's it's worked. So um, essentially, you know, I'm not the CTO, but I'm very involved in the the architectural sure. side of things. And again, it's been self-taught. 
Sure. Amazing. Thank you. It's always useful, just as I said, for, for people listening to just understand the journey that my guests have been on, especially if if obviously they're a CEO and sort of owner founder like yourself. Because um, I guess during that time, you learn a lot about yourself as well, right? You know, you're yeah, pushing and, the boundaries and taking risks and doing things you thought you maybe you'd never be doing. Absolutely. And it's, it's intimidating, right? When you're starting, you're looking at like these technical documentations, you have absolutely no idea what's going on or how you're ever going to get there. Yeah. And then you just take it one paragraph at a time. You start to figure things out. And yeah, then the competency builds. So Accelerants as it is today, for those that aren't aware, just give us uh, the sort of, I know this is a very American term, the elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah. So we're an event technology platform to facilitate yeah. the entirety of uh, the technology needs for running any type of event from uh, a trade show through a conference, be it in-person or virtual. We handle badge printing, mobile apps for on-site, lead capture, and then you know, again, on the on the virtual side of things, everything that you need to run an event from a webinar to a, an event with 500 sessions going on. And uh, when we get implemented within an organization, they're often using us to facilitate all of those different experiences instead of having point solutions with different teams trying to figure out different aspects of it, RevOps and marketing ops trying to integrate all of that technology and all of that data we're bringing that all into a centralized location. Right. And thank you for that. Obviously, you know, especially during the, when the pandemic started, I was at a trade show organizer, right? And we had to pivot, excuse the terminology, to, to virtual. Yeah. And so we were road testing lots of different solutions and everyone's saying, you know, this is the best solution and I can do this and they can't do that. How do you go about um, differentiating your solution from others on the market or or actually is, the, is that the way you go or do you say actually i can do everything the same but our differences as you just referenced and we're going to talk about in a minute i can improve the customer experience um what what how do you go about that tell us about that yeah so the customer experience side of things for us is a huge differentiator and as, as you know, I showed the story earlier, when you spend three months or often more building an experience that culminates in sometimes just three hours, you don't have 10 minutes to wait for a response. And that mantra carries through the way that we interact with customers. Our meeting and response time is 25 seconds. We are there every step along the way to answer any question that arises. And that in itself is a huge differentiator. And it becomes abundantly clear to folks the first time they interact with us, the first time they come by our website. So knowing that we're on their team, we're on their bench, we're an extension of their team really helps to set us apart. But that's one aspect of it. The other is the technology piece. There are a lot of solutions that have popped up in the past yeah. 24 months or so where they're you know, what I would call a point solution. They're designed to facilitate one aspect or, or one type of experience. Often it's really just kind of like a, a webinar on steroids, right? And what we are is a platform that's been around four years, five years before the pivot right. to virtual. We understand what goes into producing an in-person experience, supporting an in-person experience, and that entire gamut as well. So it's about having the depth of technology that um, think about the you know the, the the folks that are putting these events on, right? They're they're creatives. They're people that can walk into a convention center or a warehouse and turn that into an un unforgettable experience. And they find a way to do it differently every single time. Those yeah. folks need the power and control in their hands to create that unique experience. 
and we're the platform that gives them the power to be able to do that. Sure. Thank you. And obviously we've gone back to in-person, Yeah. though that hasn't ruled out. I'm sure a lot of your customers are still doing virtual because, you know, the last two years has proven what virtual um, can do, you know, the yeah. competencies. What, what are your clients telling you about what are they demanding from you? What are they, what are they requiring? How are those requirements changed now going, they're going back in person can maybe compared to in person a couple of years ago. Yeah. So the, the, one of the biggest differences we've seen for in person compared to a couple of years ago, uh, two in particular, one is that there's a much higher expectation around the data that becomes available because the event organizers now have a better understanding of how to use that information. Events have become more integrated into the MarTech and RevTech stack and management has learned and come to expect that information. Now, how we actually go about getting that information comes from the technology that are offered to the organization and the attendees on site. And as you think about those different aspects, attendees have also become much more familiar of the role that event tech can play. It's become an expectation for them as well. So we've seen, and this is both what we've seen and also industry stats, that there's been about a 3x uptick in the use of mobile apps for attendees for on-site okay. trade shows, exhibits, and conferences. And what that provides is not just a better experience for the attendees, it saves them time in terms of finding people to meet with, finding their way around the venue, but it also provides so much more insight into the organization around what's working, how to drive engagement, and being able to track and follow up on all of that information as well. So you know, again, the biggest, the biggest change we've seen is just the adoption of technology for those on-site experiences. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I can only speak from experience probably up to a couple of years ago, if I'm honest, you know, we used to probably get pitched by a lot of event tech companies and things were going all right for us, right? We're running big trade shows, funnily enough, in the tech space, um, ironically. And, you know, we're like, well, you know, what can they offer? Things are going all right. And it's actually sometimes only when there's a period of disruption that, you know, as an organizer, you stop and think and then you start again and actually you see there's the opportunity. You got off the treadmill of just you know, doing the event and then doing an event again and then going on to another event maybe. And actually now people have stopped and seen what's available. So do you think the relationship between organizers and event tech companies has then improved in the fact that they're now collaborating more rather than just seeing it as an expense? Oh, 100%. I mean, and that again goes back to the relationship that event tech companies are building with their customers but it's sure. definitely more of a of a you know, symbiotic relationship where both the tech companies are considering the event organizers their partners and the event organizers are considering the, the tech companies their partners. And it's great to see, frankly. I mean, at the end of the day, it evolves the experience for the attendees. It makes it better for every stakeholder involved, not just the attendees for that matter, the speakers, the exhibitors, the sponsors as well. So potentially you're finding that they are involving you earlier on in the process of planning the event, not just as a bolt on towards the end or, you know, as a nicety to have. It's actually something that's now integral in the planning of the event. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're also seeing that the way we're being implemented within organizations is, you know, it's a piece of technology that they're using event after event. So they're learning and iterating along the way. And the decision has already been made before the events even begun, really the planning sure. phase. The other aspect is that because we're not just acting as a point solution, we're not just there for badge printing. We're not just there 
for lead capture, the technology is implemented from the very first interaction from the website being built, registration being collected to uh, training exhibitors on how to make the most out of that experience. And yeah, because of that, it really is much more of that partnership relationship. Sure. Now, you, you touched upon data before. Just want to go into that in a bit more detail. So, again, you know, during the pandemic, lots of data flying around because people were using different virtual platforms, you know, sitting in different databases. Um, but more and more, and again, I can speak to the trade show community, they're now getting data engineers, data scientists, head of data in their organizations, which never would have happened before. You know, data was seen by something that marketing maybe did on Excel over there. There's all sorts of duplication of data going on. Obviously, different rules and legislation came in to, to, to help us sort of push in the right direction. Um, but, you know, talk to me about first-party data considerations. Firstly, for those that aren't in the know, can you just explain what first-party data is and how that compares to other sets? Yeah. Um, so, and so, then let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So, so this a lot of this popped up with really Apple's war on Facebook and now, well, Google tapping in as well with the reduction in third-party cookie tracking. And if you think about those different types of data, third-party data is data that I can basically buy into. So think about running an ad campaign on Facebook or Google. I don't have access to the underlying data, but I can push information out based on their audience. Second-party data would be something like uh, you and I co-host a webinar. You're the organizer putting on the webinar. You get access to all those registrants. Maybe you share that information back to me. I don't own that information, but you've shared it with me. First party data, on the other hand, is information that I'm capturing through an activity that I'm doing. And one of the advantages here is that it's proprietary to me. I'm the only person or the only organization that actually has and owns that particular set of information. So it's a competitive differentiator in itself. So with everything that Apple and Google are doing to reduce the viability of the traditional digital marketing mechanisms that we know, what that's done is shift focus towards first-party mechanisms for capturing data that help drive growth of organizations. And if you think about the different mechanisms for capturing first-party data, you've got things like you know, white paper downloads and ebook downloads, yeah. even webinar registrants. But all of that is, is really just a single point in time interaction. That's all you really get to learn. Whereas in the world of events, people are willing to give up their time their money, their registration data, even their cookie tracking, all in exchange for access to your content and your community. And that in itself makes events such a powerful mechanism to help grow organizations and push them forward. And how does a, a, a company in the solutions that you have help them in that regard? So if I'm sitting there as an event organizer and I've got all this first party data, which has, um, I guess, come through uh, some of the solutions that you've offered. How do you help them sort in terms of um, capitalize on the information that data gives them? Yeah, so there's really two major ways I think about this. How can it be used to make the event experience better? And how can it be used to drive the organization forward? Now, from an event experience perspective, I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the different things that can be done already sure in terms of understanding, analyzing, using the data in real time, using it for post-event follow-up. But when it comes to the other side of the coin, what we're seeing is that RevOps teams are involved in about 60% of the buying cycles now. And you know that's up from about 20% last year. What that means is that events are being thought of as a much more 
holistic component of the MarTech stack and the marketing program, which you know, frankly shouldn't come as a surprise since it makes sure. up what, 25 to 40% of B2B marketing spend. It's a huge segment of the spend. But what's happening now is organizations are, are really thinking about, okay, we're generating all of this information, these insights on our customers. Where is that going to flow to? And often the CRMs and the marketing automation platforms, their data structures are not really designed to facilitate this information. So what we're seeing is that platforms like ours are becoming the system of record for all of that information. However, in large organizations where they do have like a, a CDP customer data platform or a data warehouse or a data lake, some other sort of data stack, they are thinking about and starting to implement flows of that information into their existing data stack to help build their insights, their models, which can be used for more personalized follow-up. And just to give an example, let's just say you're a company like, like HubSpot, for example. You've got five different product lines. Maybe I'm a customer that's using the CRM product today, but you notice that I'm checking out a whole bunch of sessions related to your Service Hub product. Well, that should be triggering something for your organization that tells the account manager to follow up with me and try to figure out, well, are they up for renewal with the existing service product that they're using and they're considering us? What is it that's that's triggering that that interest so that you can ultimately drive uh, you know, revenue expansion for your organization? Sure. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, um, again, if I sort of hark back to when I was running trade shows, you know, it was all about just that one event, maybe two or three days a year. Now yep. more and more people are seeing that it's a community engagement model all year round, right? So actually I'm serving the community first. It's how I best serve that community, whether that's with virtual events during the year, might end up in a trade show towards the end of the year, whatever. Are you are you seeing that you're getting more involved in those conversations um, where you're working with customers and event organizers all year round rather than just, you know, on a one-off event? Yeah, and it's it used to be that there would be these couple of flagship events per year, as you mentioned. What we're yeah. seeing today is that the event program is it's it's significantly expanded from that. So it's not just those couple of flagship events per year. It's the virtual events that are taking place sometimes weekly, but often monthly or quarterly. And then the field marketing events that are accompanying that. So you may not be hosting your flagship event, but there may be a flagship event that your team is is attending and hosting a dinner or a cocktail hour and bringing all of that information into one system that helps you to understand that attendee behavior and market to those attendees and drive further attendance, but also further opportunity with that business. It's, you know, again, what we're seeing is it's all falling under one roof today. Sure, thank you. And if I turn ourselves to sort of the future of events, there's lots of discussion uh, going on on social media and just generally people that I, I, I read and I listen to about the metaverse, okay? To start off with, uh, you've got a wry smile on your face <laughs> um, and how that could be used, right? Because these sort of things have been, a, you know, when you're as old as I am, you know, I remember going back to Sims many, many years ago when you could build cities in 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 a virtual arena. I don't think it was from a headset, but it was definitely online um, or yeah. it was through a, a version of Nintendo or something. So I've sort of seen it all before. Um, do you, do you think it's it's going to sort of go mainstream and take off in that respect? Where do you think we are on that curve and how and how does a company like yourself sort of get involved in those conversations? Yeah, the last time I played Sims, I think it was on one of those. Uh, <laughs> remember the Macs that would be like purple, yellow with you could see inside yes. the computer? Yeah. I think I've got one in my loft. 
<laughs> I think that was the last time I played Sims. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have an Oculus headset sitting in the closet so next to me. That's why I was giggling. Yeah. <laughs> I bought it two years ago. I used it once. Yeah. yeah. And it's been in the box since. I do think we're going to get there. But what events and virtual events in particular have done such an incredible job of recently is driving accessibility. And until metaverse style events become more accessible, I don't think it's going to be mainstream. Uh, you know, Apple had their keynote last week. There was some suggestions that maybe they would be releasing a headset. I think that would probably move the needle. Um, but again, until it becomes accessible for everybody, I, I, I don't think that's going to be uh, a major area that businesses are are investing in because uh, you're going to get lower adoption. You're gonna, yeah. Less people are going to feel comfortable and ready to participate. And it also runs the risk of acting as a distraction, right? And virtual events are really, really good at content distribution. They're mediocre at networking compared to an in-person experience. Can Metaverse replace some of those elements of in-person? Maybe. I haven't personally experienced it in a way that made me feel that yet. But again, I you know I think we're still in the very early days of that, and I, I do think we'll get there, but not this year, not next year. Sure. So just generally, John, in terms of the the future of events, um, and I guess in relation to event tech, let's take that if I if you were to come back on the program in twelve months or twenty four months, where do you see the direction of travel in terms of uh, the technology that's available? So some of the things maybe you're working on, for example, that um, people are going to adopt. Yeah, I, I think, again, technology is going to play a bigger and bigger role for the in-person experience. I think the, the bigger factor beyond even just the technology aspect is the way that events are driving community, right? Well, there's a lot of technology that's popped up for building your own community. There's Slack communities out there. But ultimately, that community culminates in people getting to meet each other and interact with each other, be it in person or virtual. But virtual is just this incredible opportunity for people to get to build those relationships in advance of an in-person experience and make that in-person experience even more useful and powerful. And I think technology is going to continue to play a bigger role in helping you to make your time at those in-person experiences more powerful, especially with the frustrations and expense with traveling right now. If you're going to commit to going to an event, it has to be worth your time. It has to be worthwhile. And then in terms of what the technology is actually going to do there, Again, it feels like we're in the first iteration of what technology really can do. Uh, it's certainly starting to help with driving more engagement, but it's it's not. AI has has just sort of started stepping into event technology today. I think sure. we're going to see a lot greater adoption of or impact from the use of AI. I also think that augmented reality is going to play a bigger role. So not going all the way to you know, virtual reality or the metaverse, but how can augmented reality help to increase engagement of an in-person experience? Sure. Thank you. And what about just finally sort of um, in terms of NFTs, which in my opinion, for the for the some type of events, you know, like festivals and other events that we've seen, I think the adoption has actually been quite rapid, probably quicker than I thought it would have been. Um, what, what's your view on on NFTs and how people are sort of, you know, selling tickets, should I say, in an old school <laughs> terminology. Yeah. Um, I live in Miami, so NFTs are like, you know, on the back <laughs> of boats going by here. <laughs> yeah. So I may live in the, you know, 
the mecca of NFTs. Um, it's at this point, it feels more like a club than anything else. Right. Uh, it doesn't necessarily seem like we're solving a problem with NFTs. We're basically finding a solution for technology as, as you know. Yeah, you got to, it. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's what I think. So, yeah. <laughs> we're almost like using uh, it for the sake of using it. I, I, like, I do think conceptually that concept could get there, but there's a lot of qualms with blockchain and crypto right now. And um, at the end of the day, the thing that people care about more than anything else is reliability and performance. Sure. Okay. So, and just finally, what, what's next for Excel events? What, what, what can we see happening over the next few months? Yeah. So we're continuing to double down and just making life easier for event organizers. Uh, everything that we can do to save you time, help you automate processes and create better experiences. That's our, our focus and being able to help you own the entirety of every experience that you're creating for, for your attendees, your speakers, your exhibitors from that in-person event to the field marketing events through virtual events and webinars. Perfect. So listen, John Kazarian, CEO of Excel Events, thank you so much for spending uh, yeah, 30 minutes of your time with us today. We look forward to seeing what's next and um, we wish you all the best for the future. Thanks for having me on, Dan.